Welcome into the Green and Gold Then and Now podcast. Jeff Orlowski, the Polish Pipe Bomb here, alongside the man, the encyclopedia himself, Mr. Steve Zaki. Steve, how are we doing tonight? We're doing fantastic. Encyclopedia, speaking of which, we're going to actually have an encyclopedia on the show. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be chatting with Cliff Crystal, the historian of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, that was one heck of a get. So I can't wait to hear what Cliff has to say. He's phenomenal and does just does great work. Check him out at Packers.com under the history uh, tab. Yeah, history tab. And then what's cool about it is you can actually ask him a question too. So a lot of a lot of really what, what's nice about him, it's going to sound kind of crude, but he, he does a lot of bathroom articles. Nice. Because it's, it's little, these little quick hit 500, you know, to a thousand word uh, little uh, uh, subject matters on a lot of uh, a lot of things you may you may not know about a Packers. I mean, I'm a hardcore Packer fan. I've always since I was a little kid. As many Wisconsinites are, you know the history, you know the players. But Cliff will sometimes bring up a player that you might not be aware of. So it's it's pretty cool stuff. And I love those 500 to a thousand words, kind of like the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> Uh, you know, cause at least with me, I don't know how long I'm going to be in there. So, uh, you know, is it a one article trip? Is it a four article trip? But you know, they're, they're quick and, and you get through them and you learn a lot and it it's is. not preachy. It's, no. it's not 15 pages of stuff. You know, I like the quick hitters. It's really cool stuff. And I, I've always been, you know, okay. We all love Brett Favre. We all love Aaron Rodgers, but you know, he did an article and Tobin wrote, yeah. Tobin wrote is, and, and he was, you know, when you hear, you know, Bart Starr was drafted in 1956. He was, what, the 16th, 17th round pick, whatever he was. But, you know, he was on the team for four or five years before he started. Mm-hmm. And and Tobin wrote was one of those guys who played, he was playing in front of, Brett, uh, in front of uh, Bart Starr. But Tobin wrote, after he left the Packers, went to the AFL, and for many years uh, was, uh, I, I think, pretty sure he was, if I recall, he was an all-pro quarterback with the Chargers. So there's a lot of interesting things out there, little tidbits about the Packers you, you may not know that uh, Cliff brings up. But let, let's talk uh, real quick uh, before we get uh, with Cliff uh, what's going on with the Packers today. And, of course, uh, it's been a frustrating couple of weeks with the Packers. Almost there. Uh, they actually could have been two and zero on this on this trip if it wasn't for uh, you know I hate to say it but you know Lindy Infante after he got fired in 1990 what did he famously say we were only five or six plays away from being in the playoffs well <laughs> you know mediocre Mike uh, could almost say the same thing you know take away four or five plays and they could be two and zero on this uh, road trip couldn't they yeah they could you know they hung right with there with the Rams and until uh, that Aaron Jones fumble when it all kind of came crashing down against the Patriots the Packers held strong and. Uh, you know, they definitely had a chance to win that game. It all got away from them at the end. But, uh, you know, so it goes. It's it's another loss. It's another uh, huge step back. It's another mountain for them to have to climb uh, in order to even sort of think about maybe making the playoffs this season. But you're seeing a couple things. Um, if, if, you know, fans have all said we want accountability. Well, you've certainly seen that in the last couple of weeks. With this just situation with Ty Montgomery, yeah, and now this week with Whitehead being waived after being kicked out of the game, maybe he should not have been kicked out of the game. In hindsight, I think the officiating crew 
kept a lot uh, to be desired in that Patriots game. But you know, people that criticize officials—that's for loser talk, really. Yeah. But um, you know, really losing Whitehead—are you really going to lose the game because of that? You shouldn't be in that position, should you? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And he got picked up by the Browns. Well, you know, there's Dorsey picking up our scraps yet again. So maybe after the – oh, I better not go there. Oh, hey, I, I I don't think anybody would be surprised to see Mike McCarthy wearing that poo-colored brown uh, uniform there. And uh, it would fit him and, uh, and match his coaching skill just right. So uh, – but, yeah, you know, it, it was another disappointment. And, you know, you feel bad for Aaron Jones. It's his first fumble. Uh, it couldn't have come at a worse moment. You know, the Packers were moving the ball. But it's the same old crap. You know, Aaron Jones was was running his ass off. Gets down to what? The three-yard line, first and goal, and the Packers yeah. pass, pass, pass. Yeah. You know. Uh, well, even even in that situation, I'm going, okay, play action, you know, or Something. Something. Yeah, and that's where I think you and I are getting so frustrated with the mediocre Mike situation is 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 when you're seeing a situation like that where you're going, why? What are they doing? But uh, the other thing with uh, you knew when he fumbled that ball, you, you felt okay. That's it. The air, you the air completely went out of that sidelines, didn't it? Oh yeah. Oh, you could hear that sideline pop like an overinflated <laughs> balloon, man. And you knew as soon as that ball hit the turf and the Packers didn't recover, game over. But this week it's the Dolphins, and this should be a roll-out-the-helmets game. It's at home. You're facing Blake you know, uh, Osweiler. I mean, this should be you know, this should be an easy game, but how many easy games have the Packers had this year? Uh, one, and that was against Buffalo. And even that was a little frustrating because they only put up 22. Oh, I know. How many did the Bears put up against them? 112. <laughs> so. I'll tell you this. If the Packers lose against Miami, not only would I fire Mike McCarthy before he even hit the locker room after the final after the final horn. Who did that uh, a couple years ago? Yeah, and they left his ass there and made him find his own way home. Well, that was a hockey team, I thought. But didn't somebody... Um, was it last year or maybe the year before? It was, but it was week seventeen, and he was fired before he got to, to his, the plane. I'm trying to remember who the heck that was, but yeah, so that's what you would do, absolutely. And I would Team sit President there, Jeff Orlowski. I would sit there and call the Dolphins GM and be like, "Listen, congratulations on the win. I will trade you right now, head to head. You give me Adam Gase, I'll give you Mike McCarthy." If they say no, I fire him at the airport and put him in a in a taxi. Let him find his own way home. Well, we've said this, and I've I've said I've I've said that it's. I wouldn't surprise me if Petting is the head coach next year, and then they bring in somebody like Gase. I'm a little, you know, when I in in there was talk after the because I think it was after the Seattle game. Gase was, you know, we were, uh, Terry O'Brien, who was on the podcast a couple weeks ago, we had this conversation and a few other people. There were some people at the station here. Adam, we, you know, kind of off the air, we were kind of talking about Adam Gase. Yeah, I like this guy. You know, I think he could be, and even back then, there were a couple people that weren't happy with uh, McCarthy at the time, especially after the Seattle thing. But even I was like, yeah, but. Boy, that it's a it's a bit of a reach, and you're really 
I mean, if it doesn't work out, you look like a freaking idiot. Well, he did. He has done some amazing things with Ryan Tannehill as his quarterback. Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. Now imagine if you give him Aaron freaking Rodgers. I I think I'm more comfortable with. Well, and I still, even though he says he doesn't want to be a head coach. You hear about the the speech he gave in the preseason, and you know I just think I think it almost seems like they offered I I it seems like they take this job something happens with McCarthy you're the guy it just seems that that was whispered in his ear to me I don't know why it just seems that way and it seems I I think it would be more comfortable with Adam Gase just worrying about the just worry about the offense Pettin is 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 he's 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 that. You know, fist against the table. You know, let's let's go, guys. You know, lead, go into battle type of guy. Where it's a different voice. You know, McCarthy. It's might have got stale. You know, McCarthy might be a great guy for Cleveland. I I really do. You know, but you know, it it's really tough. That's why you got to give Belichick so much respect. Yeah, he's been what he's been able to do. But if you notice though. That roster is always turning over. Yeah, it is. And you so got to give. That's how he's keeping it fresh. Well, you also have to give Robert Kraft a lot of respect because Belichick did go an entire decade with the Patriots with zero Super Bowl wins. Yeah. So he sat there. Yes, they were competitive year in, year out, and everything like that. But he went 10 years without winning a ring and well, they didn't make a change. And a, and, a, and a listener might be saying, well, why don't they do that with McCarthy? Because Belichick keeps it innovative. Well, He's an innovator. Here's the other thing, though. They should have won the Super Bowl in 2014. Well, of course. Both of those so, Giants losses. So if if McCarthy wins in 2010 and 2014, I, I'm on I'm on the board I'm on board with just let him work through this. But you know what it is? It isn't though. So Yeah. I mean, and and the thing is here we are, and and the thing that really pounded at home was that I forget where it was. Was the the Packers have had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks for a quarter century, and they only have two Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you this: uh, if the Packers don't get healthy and put a whooping on these Dolphins, since this is their first home game since what mid March, you know like they that, haven't yeah. played at Lambeau Field in in it seems like a year and a half. If they come out and lay an egg and lose or say it takes a Mason Crosby last-second field goal or something like that and it's an ugly, like, 13-10 game or yeah. something, the Boo Birds are going to oh, be out. Oh, the Boo out. Birds will be in the first quarter if they don't. Oh, if I they're know. not up 14 nothing. Yeah. You know. And you're going to start to see my neighbor, uh, he had friends at, uh, at the game against uh, the Patriots, and – uh, his buddies were Packer fans and stuff, and they took a picture. They were holding fire McCarthy signs and stuff like that. So you're going to start seeing that more and more. Obviously, Lambeau will do everything heat, to keep yeah, those out of, is, out of the yeah, out the of the stadium. On. But yeah. the heat is on, and it's getting hotter. They can't afford to lay an egg. And if they lose this game, the whole season's wiped. Yeah. So I'll you tell know. you what. Let's switch gears here, and uh, let's go talk to uh, Cliff Crystal, historian of the Green Bay Packers. And uh, it is, after all, the green and gold then and now. You got so it. we did the now. Let's go back to the then. And it is my pleasure to introduce Cliff Crystal, the historian of the Green Bay 
Packers on the Green and Gold Then and Now podcast. Cliff, thank you for joining the show. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, I've been looking forward to this. Uh, we started this podcast this year, and I wanted to. It, it, I thought it'd be a great vehicle to talk to gentlemen like you and a, and a few others. So I'm really happy. I've always been a fan of yours when you were a writer in, in Milwaukee here, and and happy uh, in your happy that you got that position as his, his historian of the Packers. I think it's a really cool deal, and and you're and I just love going to your Packers site and looking at all the little, the little tidbits of history you do. And when I was up at the Hall of Fame, I always was a fan. As a kid, I first heard of uh, Jack Venisi, and, and he's one of these un, unheralded heroes of the Packers, and especially uh, those early days when things started to turn around in, in uh, 1959 with Lombardi. And uh, tell, tell the listeners uh, a little bit about Jack Venisi and how important he was as one of the building blocks to the Lombardi Packers. Well, he certainly was unheralded. He was hired in 1950. He was just a young kid out of Notre Dame. Uh, and he had known that Ron, Gene Ronzani was the head coach, just replaced Lambeau. And uh, the Bears, when Ronzani played with the Bears, they had hung around the grocery store, the market that the Venetians had, north side of Chicago. So we knew him, and he put him to work, basically just doing stat work and so forth. And it ended up being that... Uh, Jack kind of organized their personnel uh, department, or you know, one-man personnel department. Mm-hmm. But you know, took care of their their draft uh, reports, and uh, and he did it for uh, you know through the fifties, and had some great drafts. Now, one thing we need needs to be clarified, other than for the draft where the Packers didn't have a head coach between McQueen and Lombardi. Uh, and that was just the that wasn't the early rounds. It was just the later rounds. He never made a draft. I mean, he didn't call the shots. Uh, when I was a young reporter in Milwaukee for the for the Journal, I guess I wasn't so young. But <laughs> the the veteran guys, you know, like Bob Wolf and uh, I think Bud Lee, they used to refer to him as Lyle Blackburn's draft because he was the guy who was making the decisions, and he was a good personnel guy too. But obviously, those drafts of the fifties formed the nucleus of Lombardi's championship teams, and Benici played a big part. Blackburn admitted they most often listened to Jack. And uh, the, sad, the sad thing about it is it, he, we really didn't see the, his, you know, the, the final product, especially when it comes to Lombardi, because I think he passed, what, in 1960 or so? Was he yeah. a diabetic or something? No, he had developed a – he played freshman football at Notre Dame. Um, then he went into the service. Um, I'm not sure he was, I think it was 45, so I'm not sure if he saw um, combat duty. I think he was just, uh, he was playing for a base football team and he developed a rheumatic heart condition. Oh, okay. That bothered him from then on and uh, he died of a heart attack. Hmm. Yeah, very sad. And I think it was at age 33. Wow. Okay. And and one of the one of the people that came on early in Lombardi's in in the Lombardi um, reign was uh, Emlyn Tunnel that he brought over from the New York Giants. And I, I thought it was interesting the, the reasoning why he brought him in. And, and he was a veteran, uh, and he brought the, such a veteran presence to, to those early Packers. Can can you talk about Emlyn Tunnel, who's who's actually in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Yeah, 
it's actually Emlyn Tonell. Tonell, sorry. Uh, he had played about 13 years for the New York Giants, so they were ready to make a change. Uh, he was certainly on the downside of his career. Uh, but Lombardi, when he came to Green Bay, he inherited, uh, there were two black players on the 58 team, um, Nate Borden and Len Ford. And Len Ford got kicked off the team the night before the final game in Los Angeles. He's in the Hall of Fame, too, but he had a serious drinking problem by the time he came to Green Bay. And so he, Lombardi really inherited one black. And he, I think, brought Tunnell to Green Bay, first of all, to set an example. Tunnell had been on a championship team in New York. They had had success there. Uh, and I think he really was, there were no black coaches at the time, but in essence, Tennell served as a player coach for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, the players believe, and the word is that, you know, players at that time had a hard time finding adequate housing in Green Bay, whites and blacks, but particularly blacks. And the word is that uh, the, Horse, the Hotel Northland was a pretty swank hotel at that point, that Lombardi even paid for Tennell's room there so he'd be on the roster but I he played three years in Green Bay um probably you know he's at the end of his career mm -hmm. but you talk to any of those players on those teams and they'll tell you he was the guy he was the leader he was the guy everybody on the roster looked up to not only blacks but uh the whites as well and um, you know, I know Willie Wood, Herb Adderley, they all credited him with kind of leading the way. At that point in time, Green Bay wasn't an easy place for those guys to, to be. And uh, did a lot of things uh, to help Lombardi win. Now, talking about Lombardi and uh, when you sit there and kind of Bring it to, to nowadays, a lot of people would say that uh, Bill Belichick is the Lombardi of this era. A, what kind of similarities do you see between the two? And what did Lombardi have that has been missing on just, you know, 95% of the coaches in the league? Was he just a master motivator? Uh, was, you know, what what did he have that put him in the – you know, the gold circle, the golden ring of coaches of all time? Number one, I think the biggest similarity and maybe the key to their success was that Belichick and Lombardi, I think, are both kind of ruthless and heartless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they certainly have to, they both found a way to be effective motivating their team. Um, you can't be that way unless you win. Or you're going to lose your, you lose your players, but, um, you know, that Lombardi, everybody thinks, well, Starr and Greg and all those guys, that they were here forever. True of the matter is, especially on defense, Lombardi kept turning over that roster. Uh, his idol was an old, was a NHL general manager, Jack Adams, who had won a number of Stanley Cups with the Detroit Red Wings. And the thing that he admired about him was that he kept, he had a revolving door, just keep getting rid of veterans and, replace him with younger players. And I think Belichick's done a little bit of that. And, he, of course, he has a quarterback who's been there now a long time. But anyway, I think um, I think Belichick, I'm not so sure. You know, Lombardi's power sweep by the end um, was no longer the effective play it had been earlier. Um, 
and it wasn't soon after that it just kind of vanished from the game. Strategically, I think Belichick's uh, one of his keys to his success has been he's been that he's kept up with the game. Maybe he's done a better job of that than Lombardi did or would have if he had lived longer. Uh, but I don't think there's ever been a, a more master psychologist than Lombardi. I mean, he just had a knack for getting the absolute best out of every player on his team. I don't think all those Packers in the Hall of Fame were that necessarily that talented, but they just played at a consistently high level every game, every play. Yeah. Well, one more question on the now part of the Packers then and now uh, podcast here. Now, Cliff, when when you have a season like Green Bay's going through now, and obviously the talk is, uh, you know, about getting rid of Mike McCarthy and everything like that. Is this a kind of season that you wish that you were following the team, you know, every day at all the press conferences and all that? Or does it get to kind of be a circus and you're glad that you can kind of step back and stay away and out of the fray? Yeah, I guess I'm so wrapped up in my history that I go to the games, I watch the games, but that's about the only contact I have with the current team. I mean, I don't even look at I don't look at social media. I don't look at websites. So I don't even know if there's any criticism. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, I just, you know, they've been in this situation before and gotten in the playoffs. So. All right. Yeah. You know, the the talk now is that he, you know, basically, if the Packers don't make the Super Bowl, he's going to be gone after this season. So uh, I know I agree with that 100%. <laughs> well, one thing I did want to bring up was uh, something. one of the teams that's kind of forgotten in the Packers history is the 72 Packers, which went 10-4. and four. Uh, and, and, and one one thing about that, because that, that's kind of when I went, as a kid growing up, I started to really follow the Packers. And not only did they have, of course, the running backs, MacArthur Lane, John Brockington, but they also had a very, very good defense. And and I think that's kind of forgotten. What what how how does that that defense from pretty much 1972, 73, and 74? How does that fit into the the Packer history? You know, historical teams, Cliff. Well, yeah, I, I mean, they, that's what they won in '72. I you know the kicking game obviously was big too. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't have much of a passing game, so they ran the football and they played good defense. Uh, The biggest, the, probably the strength of the defense were the cornerbacks. Uh, Kevin Ellis was, had a good year. Uh, I don't think he was a great cornerback, but he was, when he was playing well, he was a very good cornerback. Willie Buchanan probably was a, still might be the best rookie cornerback I've ever seen in the NFL. If he hadn't had the injury issues, mm-hmm. uh, I think he would have been, he'd be in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, I, Rod Wolf told me once, best cornerback he ever saw in college football. Um, the guy was so special, and he just made a huge impact. Two rookies, Marco and Buchanan, made that turn that team around as much as anybody. And uh, you know, they had a guy by the name of Bob Brown, <laughs> who guy that Lombardi signed out of uh, you know from the Wheeling Ironman, a semi-pro team, and he had a weight problem throughout his career. But when Bob Brown wanted to play, he could dominate. Um, so he was in the defensive line. I always thought Alden Roche was an underrated defensive end. And then they had the linebackers. Um, Fred Carr, 
Jim Carter played pretty well. And Dave Robinson was still in Green Bay, and he's a Hall of Famer. So they had some good personnel. And for one year, Ted Hendricks. A lot yeah, of that be- was 74. Yeah. I still say uh, 25 years of great football here in Green Bay, but the best Reggie White, nobody ever had a better defensive season than Ted Hendricks did in his one year in Green Bay in 1974. Yeah, unfortunately, they just did not have any type of offense that year, and uh, it was a frustrating year. They they were, uh, and that's when they started to look for uh, quarterbacks, and of course, we got the John Hadle situation, but speaking of uh, John Hadle and all that, uh, uh, Divine, you know, one of the there's, you know, being a you know historian of auto racing, there's all these stories you hear, and you just wish they would go away. And I know this is this is one that I, I just you you kind of want the truth to get out there, and you just want this thing to die. The Dan, Dan Devine's dog was not shot because he was a bad coach, correct? Correct. I um I have a first cousin, an uncle, and uncle that lived. Uh, Two, far, two farms away from where Devine lived. Uh, the farmers there were upset because his dog was out chasing their animals, and uh, one of the farmers, the one that lived closer to Devine's house, warned him that if he didn't tie his dogs up, he was going to do something about it, and he went out and shot him. Shot so, the dog. And that's one of those stories that's grown over the years that, oh, the Packer fans were so sick of, you know, that divine at the end of his reign at the, at the Packers that they shot his dog. It's like, no, it's not true. So Actually, I think that happened. I think I just heard that that happened. I'm not even sure what year it happened, but it might have happened 72. Yeah. I don't think it happened the last year. Right. I, I shouldn't say that. I have to look that up. I don't know, but I don't believe it happened in 74. Uh, one last question. Uh, it was great having um, uh, Jerry Kramer into the Hall of Fame. And there's been some talk of Gail Gillingham uh, is is one that should should be perhaps the next Packer into the Hall of Fame. Is there any other Packers out there you think that should be in the Hall of Fame that's not in there? Um, I think Gail Gillingham, until the fat guy started, you know, dominating like Larry Allen, I think Gail Gillingham was the best guard I've ever seen. Um, I and you know. It, you know, I've probably asked 15 to 20 Packers from the 60s about him, and they all say he was as good as they've ever seen. Um, I don't think he has much of a shot, especially now that Kramer's in. Um, to me, he's the biggest oversight, and probably the biggest oversight in the NFL is Vern Llewellyn, who played in the 20s. and 63, they already had forgotten about him, but um, I think there were people that, from the 20s who stayed in Green Bay and played with the Packers then and followed the Lombardi teams who felt like Vernon Wallen was the greatest player in Packers history. And I'm not so sure they aren't right. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. To me, that's just a travesty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. And, And I never, you know, I always felt like Gail Sayers' short career deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, the Packers of that era feared him as much as Jim Brown. Uh, Sayers, I think, was the greatest breakaway runner I've ever seen. Um, so but now that Terrell Davis is in, I can't, Cecil Isabel, for five years, 
outperformed Sammy Baugh. I think he was, you know, again, short career. He retired mm-hmm. after five years, but in the early 40s. But people thought he was better than Sammy Baugh. Sammy Baugh, I think, was rated, what, in the top 20 when the NFL did the 100 greatest players of all time? Yeah. And, you know, one thing, well, when you have a, a franchise that's been around for 100 years, you certain, there's certainly a lot of stories. I'm just looking at, at your column where you're writing about Tobin Rote, and there, there's another a guy, very interesting story, who who was with the Packers and also went to the AFL and had an inter- interesting career. But one day a year, I, I, I'm – I like to think I'm a hardcore Packer fan and know most of the players. Uh, tell us uh, real quickly, uh, Bobby Dillon. I don't know much about Bobby Dillon. Can you just give us a quick uh, synopsis of Bobby Dillon that you wrote about? Yeah, we posted him. He's their all-time interception leader. Played with one eye. Um, when Lombardi came to Green Bay in 59, he spent the first month or two, him and his assistant coaches, just pouring through the 58 game film. Uh, and uh, he declared after going through that film that Bobby Dillon was the best defensive back in the in the NFL and uh, one of three untouchables on his team. Interesting. That's fascinating yeah. stuff. I never knew that. And what's cool is uh, if you go to Packers.com, you can ask, actually ask Cliff a question uh, by emailing uh, Cliff at history at Packers.com. And um, I'll I will I will say this it's it's my favorite page on on packers.com Cliff Crystal's history make sure you check out check it out a lot of interesting information Cliff it's been so much fun we'd love to have you on the show uh, at another time we appreciate you coming on Thank you and another post tomorrow so it's Thursday Excellent uh thank you so much Cliff Crystal Bye. joining us on the Green and Gold Then and Now podcast don't forget to subscribe through radio.com and also through the station website uh, just dr- go to the producers tab and drop down menu and you'll see the green and gold then and now podcast. And don't forget to like the Facebook, uh, page two green and gold then and now. Thank you for listening and we'll chat next week.